0: does it say? What does it say? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Today we're going to have a look at the question of why. Why do things happen? For what reason do things happen? Has everything got a reason? Is there a reason behind everything that happens? Is God behind everything that happens? An earthquake? A car accident, getting sick, getting a job, having a baby, or a million other things was God the reason you got that really great car park at Chermside last Christmas? Right? Like, is, is that the reason? Is that God? Now, it's a pretty philosophical question, and the answer is not actually so simple. Even the Bible can give conflicting or what seems to be contradictory answers. Let's have a look at what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. That's one reason. Time and chance. Now, are we all here just for time and chance? Is it all about you were just Goldilocks, you were just the right place at the right time, you were in or your, you're in one of the terrible things and, and it's because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Is that all about time and chance and we have no way of dealing with that? So it could seem like that. Time and chance happen to all. That's a reason. But the Bible gives another reason. And, uh, and it seems to be the very opposite of what we just read about time and chance. Let's have a look at it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's addressing worry, he says this, Luke 12, verse 7. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. So one tells me time and chance is about what it's all about. And the next thing that God is so detailed, he knows that many hairs we have on our head. Now for some of us, that's a little bit easier. And for others of us, it's really hard, right? So what happens is that God knows how many hairs are on your head, yet time and chance happen to all. So this morning, I want to have a look at why. I want to have a look at Reason. I want to have a look at the reason behind things. And I, and I want to use a story, but to set up that story, I need to go back just a little bit. So the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians, he's writing about the things that he went through, the things that he suffered because he was a, a minister of the gospel. We had to look and then talk about it. And he says, I, I went through a whole lot of things. And he goes, it's foolish boasting, but I'm going to tell you anyway, all the things that happened. Right, and, and he says this. He goes in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not the way we look at stone, but he had rocks thrown at him. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drifted in the sea. This message actually came as I was thinking, why did Paul get shipwrecked three times? Why is it three times that he shipwrecked? What was the reason? Now the Bible only tells us about one shipwreck. In Acts 27 there's a story of Paul's shipwreck and scholars don't even know if that's one of the three that he's talking about now seeing that that was at the end of his life. So maybe he even had four shipwrecked. The Bible tells us about one. So why did Paul have to go through that? Why three shipwrecks? Was Paul just bad at picking boats? Right? He just didn't understand how boats worked and he always chose the boat that had a broken rudder. Right, like Maybe he was just bad at picking wrecks. Maybe he's just a cheapskate. I right? didn't want to spend any money, so he just kind of like got the cheapest ticket on the cheapest boat and so he just kind of hoped that it was going to be all right. You know? So maybe he's just a cheapskate. Maybe he's just unlucky. Maybe he's just very unlucky. He's just an unlucky guy. And uh, to be honest... I wouldn't get on a boat with Paul, right? Like after his history of shipwrecks. I mean, you want that one? Okay, I'm taking that one, <laughs> right? So, so I'm just not getting on a boat with Paul. So maybe it's just unlucky. Maybe God is trying to teach him something in the shipwreck. Maybe that's what's going on. He's he needs to learn a lesson to rely on God or something. So God makes sure that he gets shipwrecked. Well, why can't he learn it the first time? Why does he have to go through three shipwrecks? We can't know. And that's because the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can look at the one shipwrecked the Bible tells us about, and that's in Acts twenty-seven. And hopefully, this will help us answer the question of why. Now, I'm not going to read to you the whole story because it's a chapter and a half. It's all of chapter twenty-seven of Acts, and it's part of uh, chapter twenty-eight. So, I'm going to give you like a bit of an overview of the story. When you get home today, you can read the story for yourself. So, Paul is a prisoner. On the way to Rome, he's going to stand before Caesar and tell his Christian story, tell all those different things. He tells the prison guard, the guy who's guarding him, a Roman centurion named Julius, don't go out to the sea. This is going to end, in, it's not going to end well. This is going to be bad. We're going to have a shipwreck. This is not going to be good. It's a certain injury. The centurion, he goes, nah, I'm not going to listen. And they set sail anyway. Now they're out there. And sure enough, there's a major storm. Paul gives them the I told you so speech, but then comforts them and says an angel has appeared to him and that like no lives are going to be lost even though we're going to lose all of the goods of the ship. So they're in this, ship, this storm for two weeks. That's a long storm. right? For two weeks, they're on a boat. They don't know what's going on. Two whole weeks, 14 days, tossed to and fro terrible storm after two weeks they realize that land is close but they're pretty scared of running aground and paul then has communion with them now there's 256 people on that boat he has communion with them all even though most of them were unbelievers and it says that they're actually encouraged they're encouraged as Paul looks upon God. And I want to say to you, whenever you bring God into your circumstances, you're going to bring courage and encourage those people that are around you. So they attempt to run the, ground, the ship onto the beach, but they get caught on a reef. Then the soldiers, they plan on killing the prisoners so that they can't escape, but the centurion wanting to save Paul orders them not to. They land in Malta, and they're welcomed by uh, the people of Malta, and they got to build a fire. Now Paul shows what type of servant he is, because he's not just getting other people to go and get the sticks and the stuff to build the fire. He himself is out there getting sticks and and building a fire. And as he does, he picks up a a, a piece of wood, and out of it comes a snake. Bites him. Right? It, it bites him. Is it just they they're, they're just freaking out? Right? It bites him. Now just. Before I go on with the story, let me have an aside here. So the critics of the Bible use this story to say it shows you that the Bible isn't right. It says if you go to Malta today, there are no snakes. So how could Paul get bitten by a snake in a land that has no snakes? right? And so they sit there and say, and I just think it's such a foolish question. Just because an animal was there 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that an animal is there today. You know, just this week, right, just this week, they reintroduced cheetahs into India, right? So there used to be cheetahs, you know, the fastest animal on the earth, right? They used to be in India, then they weren't any longer, and now just this week, they reintroduced cheetahs into the wild. When I was a kid, we I went to school in the middle of the city, right, so lots of... Uh, bricks and mortar, but there was a parkland. And through this parkland went this creek. And as a kid, we used to leave school or, or, you know, after school, go and we would catch yabbies, yabbies big enough to be able to eat. And I'd take them home and we'd have yabbies in a creek in the middle of Adelaide. I want to tell you today, there are no yabbies in the creek in the middle of Adelaide. Just because it once was doesn't mean it is today. And it just tells me that people will do anything they can the, the opponents of God, to, and use any lengths they can to bring down the Word. Don't allow the, the enemy to pull down the power of God's Word in your life. It is what we base everything on. But back to our story. The local people reason to themselves that this is essentially karma. Paul was a bad man. He somehow escaped the sea. But now on land, the snakes got him sucked in. You can't escape karma. Right? That's what they work it out. But then the next thing they notice, they go, the Bible says he didn't swell up, right? And so they go, something's wrong here. And then so they've gone from, ha-ha, sucked in, God got you, to now going, you are a God, right? You are a God. You are must be God. And so they start to worship him. He says, no, we don't want any of that. And, uh, but he meets the father of the chief and he heals that person. And then he's there for three months preaching the gospel, seeing the sick healed. And it's a wonderful story. A boat comes and he goes on to Rome. Come on, let's give a clap to the story. What a great story. So, you know, we can answer many of the questions of why. Let's ask the question, why was Paul in prison? Yes, there's a reason for that. He was preaching the gospel. He's in a town called Ephesus and he's preaching away. And there's this girl who's given him lots of curry. And uh, so he cast a demon out of her. Now, she was a fortune teller. She was able to tell fortunes. But the moment the demon came out of her, she's no longer able to tell fortunes. Now, she was just a commodity to someone. She wasn't a person. She wasn't of value. She was just someone's commodity that they were making money off. Here pay some money, this girl will tell your fortune. There was no. And then when she couldn't tell her fortune anymore, she become of no value. And so he discards her, gets all mad and causes this big riot in the city because Paul has taken away his income, which was derived from what he was, was a person, but who had just become a commodity to him. And so out of that, he gets to be arrested. And the guards come and they come to arrest him and he goes, hang on. I'm a Roman citizen, and I know my rights, and my rights are that I can stand before Caesar and appeal to him what's going on here, and that's why he is in prison. Paul is in prison because of something that he did. He preached the gospel, and it got him arrested, and sometimes the question of why is answered. It's It's just you. It's your fault. You did it. Right? It's what you did. Some of the good things, some of the bad things. We are a product of our daily decisions. And some of the things that we go through, good and bad, are just because of us, the result of our own decisions. Sometimes we're in situations, good and bad. It's not others. It's not God. It's not the devil. There may be God factors in why we took and made decisions. But in the end, it's we are in the circumstance because of our own decisions and our own actions. So, reason number two. Let's have a look at that. Why is he preaching the gospel? Why is Paul preaching the gospel in the first place? Let's go back. Now, the reason is God. He's preaching the gospel because of God. Not of his own will, so to speak, because his will was to actually go and murder Christians. He heard that these people were going away from the Jewish faith. This is no good. I'm now going to kill these Christians who are gone away from the Jewish faith. That's what I'm going to do. He's on his way to Damascus. All of a sudden, he sees God. God reveals himself. It's Jesus. Who? Jesus. And he has this miraculous conversion. There's an intervention of God in his life and from that he is converted and from there he says, I just got to preach this glorious gospel. Instead of killing Christians, I'm now going to make sure the world is populated by Christians. He changes because of what God had done in his life and he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, preaching the gospel everywhere, establishing churches, doing wonderful and excellent works. So what happens is that he's there because of God. God is the reason. He made many choices along the way, but initially it's God who sets that first domino rolling. So, number one, we can see sometimes we're in trouble because or stuff happens. It's us. Sometimes it's God. But what is the reason he's on a boat in the middle of the storm at the wrong time of year? Now that's not God's fault. It's not Paul's fault. It was a stubborn man's fault. God had shown Paul, you go on this trip, disaster. Paul does what he can, tells the guy who's actually in power, in charge, the centurion, don't go on our ship. It's going to end in disaster. It's going to be bad. But that guy doesn't listen to him. He's informed the centurion, but because of the centurion was either stubborn, maybe the centurion was insecure. Maybe the centurion's going, oh, I don't care about what God says. I don't believe in God anyway. I'm going to listen to what the ship pilot says. So what he says is what we're doing. But whatever... Why he did it, we don't know, but he decides to go on a trip anyway. Paul goes through this storm, this shipwreck, not because of God, not because of his own decision, but because another person that he had no control over came into his life. See, many things happen in life because another person makes a call in your life that you have no control over. It's not God. It's not you. But someone else is making a call over your life. It might be your boss. He just makes a call. Might not be God's will, but God is not going to intervene. Because this is what God wants to show you all the time. It's not about whether it's your boss's will and good or bad. It's about the fact that God stands over all. God stands over all the things that we actually go through in our life. Someone robs your house. It's not God. Not the devil's, it's a sinful man who decides that his actions are going to override your rights. And I want to say it's when we start thinking and complicating things that's when we get in trouble. We start to doubt God, we start to doubt the love of God, we start to doubt the power of God, and what was just a nasty incident in our life actually becomes something that now rattles our faith. And our faith is actually rattled because of the actions of a man or a woman rather than have this faith that God overrides and God sits above it all. Some things we just need to accept and know that even if it's bad, God's going to get us through. So Paul on the boat, he actually starts to get worried. He's wondering if he's going to die, that maybe the will of a stubborn man has overridden the will of God and now Paul is going to pay the price in dying a premature death before the purposes of God of his life have been worked out. And he uses these words. Look how bereft he gets. Acts four seven verse 20. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at least at last abandoned. Paul has got to a place of no hope. And it's not even his fault. It's not God's fault. It's the fault of some stubborn centurion who didn't listen to him in the first place. It's an insecure boss man's fault. Now, I want to say something right now. Let me tell you right now, and hopefully this minister set you right and set someone straight. A third person cannot affect your destiny. A third person can't interfere in the purpose that God has for you. Only you or God can change the destiny and plan of your life. I remember many, many moons ago, I was engaged to a girl and she broke it off. I know that sounds incredibly difficult to believe, right? But she broke it off. I was devastated. We were like the it couple in the youth group and everyone thought we're definitely going to be married and it's going to be wonderful and all these things and then she broke it off. I believe that she broke it off of fear because of fear and then I just and I just thought, okay, all right, I understand that. God's good. I'll still marry someone half decent. They won't be the one that God had for me because she made a decision and my life is now going to be lesser because she made a decision based on fear and I believe that and I lived like that and had a faith like that. And then one day I just sat down with my pastor and he just said what I just said. A third person can't affect your destiny. When God given you his promises, when God put those things in his heart, he knows exactly what it is. It's going to happen good and bad in your life and yet gives you those things. And I want to say with the loudest voice, thank God I didn't marry that woman. Right, And thank God that I married Nina. And she's not just the A plan. She's the triple A plan for my life. Let me tell you, she is amazing. And Jack said the loudest amen of all. See, only God deals in destiny. Think of Nehemiah. He gets given this promise to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he has to go before a king who doesn't care about Jerusalem. He doesn't care about Nehemiah's God. He doesn't care about the rules of Nehemiah's God, the ways of Nehemiah's God. He doesn't care about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is just someone who holds his cups. But he so believes that God is in control of his destiny that he goes before the king and says, God, this is the king, this is my dream. And then God works on his heart. Proverbs 21, 21 tells us that the king's heart Is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever. Understand that if God wants to bless you, no man can stop that. No woman can stop that. Only God deals in destiny. This morning, let me break off the if only. I want to break that off. Some of you live in the if only. If only that happened. If only I'd done that. If only I hadn't done this. I want to tell you right now that God is bigger than any of the decisions that you make anyway. Even if you make a worse decision, even if you live in sin, once you walk according to His purpose and in the love of God, God can turn that around for your good. It can be for your good. And the very thing, it might have been sin, it might have been horrible, but in the end, God will turn it around for your good if you once again start to walk in purpose and start to walk in the love of God. It's actually time to get back to believe God and make best of the storm that you're actually in. So an angel visits Paul, and this is what the angel says. Your destiny is in the hand of God, no matter how bad the storm is and how hopeless it seems right now. Acts twenty four, so 27 verse 24, And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you All who sail with you. Be careful that you're not so busy at looking at why you're going through something that you forget that you're a son and a daughter of God, a powerful God, and a God who loves you, a God who's given you a calling and a destiny and then has the power to help you get there, no matter how bad your storm is. You know, my niece just lost her two-year-old son who had a seizure and died. That's the worst storm you can go through. I'm sure there's terrible storms that people in this room have gone through. It's a storm. But as she holds on to the love of God, then all of a sudden she can get through it. She can move her way through it. It matters when you're going through a storm to know that God loves you. But back to our story. They run aground, and because it's the year fifty, and not the year two thousand and twenty-two, that decide the, the 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 guards decide they're going to kill all the prisoners. That's pretty horrible, isn't it? Imagine like you you're going from one place in, on a prison, and you're driving to the next prison, and the bus gets a flat tire, and the guards are like, "All right, that's it. See you later." Right? We're not scared you're going to escape. Right, that's what they're doing. That's very brutal, isn't it? Right, it's very, very brutal. Right, So, think about this the stubborn, insecure, or ignorant centurion who was the reason for the shipwreck, who was the reason that Paul's on the shipwreck anyway, now becomes Paul's savior. He literally saves Paul's life. He tells the guards on him, Don't kill them. That was the standard. the prisoner's got a chance to escape, kill them. That's it. They finished their sentence, right? So, right, the same authority that Paul gets him into the mess actually gets him out of the mess as well. So be very careful how you treat the authorities that God places in your life. And I'd like to say, maybe if you prayed more for your authorities, rather than bring them down, complain or work against them, maybe you wouldn't need to be asking why so often. Understanding that God is actually in control and in charge, even when the storms are going on, will ultimately trump why the storm is going on. It will ultimately trump knowing why the storm is going on. So Paul gets bitten by a snake, causing all the people to talk about him. Ah, oh, he's bad. Ah, oh, his deeds are caught up with him. Hey, oh, the sea didn't get him, but haha, you can't escape your past. Some people here believe you can't escape your past, but God is bigger than your past. I want to tell you that. And then when he doesn't die, they think he's a god. Trying to work out the opinions, or trying to work out why from the opinions of people, it's just going to drive you mad, right? One moment people are going to go, "You're yeah, sucked in. You deserve to get what you're getting," and the next thing is, "Ah, see, that was the blessing of God, right? That's what God was doing in your life." Right? There's a, there's you're just going to go crazy. No, I think it's wise to talk to people who have been along the road. I think it's wise to talk to people who love you and genuinely care for you. The Bible tells us that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But if you're being swayed swayed to and fro each day by the opinions of people, you're going to go crazy. One person, oh, it's because you did this. Oh, it's because that happened. It's, oh, oh, and there's 55 different reasons. And especially when you go through a tragedy, we almost always feel that we've got to try and help the person understand why. So I said, or oh, maybe it's because of this, or, or maybe God's trying to do this, or, or maybe, 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 and it doesn't actually help you. It doesn't actually help you. You can't allow the opinions of people to be the reason. Uh, you come to why something's happened in your life. Say so the why. Let's have a look. Could be God. Could be us. Could be another person. Could be time and chance. Now notice I haven't talked about the devil, and that's because I don't believe the devil can directly affect us. After the victory of Jesus on the cross, right, We had, the devil has the same power as he had in the Garden of Eden. He can only suggest. He can only bluff. He can throw fiery arrows of doubt into our lives, of doubt into our lives but he can't directly do that. If the devil could kill me, why am I alive? The devil could give my kids cancer. Why haven't they got it? Right? Don't sit down and put it in the devil. The devil can't directly affect you unless you've invited him in, or unless you believe the lie that he's told. Right? And so the enemy has no actual effect in our lives when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus made a God made a public spectacle over the enemy, triumphing over him in it. So he'll get you to try and make a bad decision. He'll put doubt in your life. He'll call into question the power of God, the character of God. He's the one many times behind the question of why because he's actually trying to get you to doubt God. Maybe the band could come. So sometimes there actually isn't a why because the same circumstance for one may be something for someone else. Sometimes it's man. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's time and chance. I want to say this this morning. Knowing why is overrated. Because knowing why doesn't really change something when you're going through something of tragedy. You actually have to deal with the reality that you have to go through whatever it is that you're going through. And knowing why will not help. It doesn't help this because knowing why many times it just makes you blame someone or makes you blame something. And when you blame something or someone, you go, well, that's their fault. I'm now helpless. Instead of being a victor and living victoriously as we're called to do, you now live as a victim. It's their fault. It's her fault. Because it's not my fault. If I know why. It's the boss's fault. It was hers. God, it was, it was the church. It was the government. Knowing why makes you the victim many times. And that's why knowing, it's not knowing why that matters. I'll tell you what matters. It's knowing that God loves you regardless of the what or the why that matters. Many of the things that we have done are designed by the enemy to actually brought us into a place of doubt, to a place of separation from God. But listen to this, Romans 8:37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me leave you with that this morning. Knowing that God loves you is the key to lasting through a storm. Storms may be inevitable, storms may be inevitable, they're unavoidable, no matter why, but God's love is inexhaustible and infinite. You need to know that God's love is greater than any storm. And when you know that, you can get through the storm no matter the why. And then the why can be something that actually teaches you for the next time. Let me finish with this and then we're going to do something. Paul said there's three things that remain that will never pass. Faith, hope, and love. And he says that love is the greatest of these things. And that's because the other two sit on that. What happens is that like when I know that God loves me, all of a sudden I can hope that things will get better. When I can hope that things will get better, I can come to a place where I can have faith that things will get better. I can know that things will get better. If I can't hope that things are going to get better, how can I ever have faith that things are going to get better? But it all starts in the love of God. When I know that I am loved. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is his strength. And and people talk about, you know, be happy and, and smile. But it's not your joy that's your strength. It's God's joys that's your strength. When God looks at you, He's got a smile on His face. There's not a scrowl. There's not an anger. There's not a look of disappointment. There's joy on His face when He looks at you because He loves you. Because He's on your side, He's got a glorious plan. And no matter where you sit right now, He's going to love you. So what I would say to you, if you're going through a tragedy, if you're going through something that's difficult, if you're asking God why, just stop and come and sit in the love of God. Come and sit in the love of God. A preacher friend of mine, His son died and it was terrible and it was horrible. And he preached the gospel. He'd been a faith man. If I mentioned his name, all of us here would know him. And he goes, you know what? When my son died, so much of what I said didn't make sense. So much, it was just terrible. And he goes, I just had to go back and sit in the love of God. My healing started. My recovery started. My restoration started when I sat in the love of God. When I didn't believe the lie that the enemy told me, that God abandoned me, that God doesn't love me, that God doesn't care, that God hasn't got his power, that God... No, I just sat in the love of God and I believed the truth. And the moment you sit in the love of God, you're not separated from it. It'll just sit upon you. So